continue uh, all the way barreling toward the end of this letter to the Romans. It says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. What we just have have read here is some travel and fundraising plans from the Apostle Paul as he's writing this letter to the church in Rome. And I don't know if you have any travel plans right now, travel for coming up for for the rest of this year. Maybe it's for business, maybe it's for family or for for fun. Uh, But if I were to tell you some of the travel plans that I have in mind for this year, I might be happy to tell you about it, but I have a feeling you'd be really bored to tears just to listen to my travel plans. So that makes it all the more remarkable that as we, uh, as we come to the scriptures and we see something like this, that we know that God can breathe out even travel and fundraising plans that he included in scripture in such a way as to make them profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Because that's what he said in 2 Timothy 3.16 that he does with all scripture. And I think we're going to see that together today that there is going to be great profit for us spiritually just in seeing the fact that God sovereignly decided to put these plans here for us in the letter to the Romans that's not just the letter to the Romans, but also the letter to the First Baptist Church of Matawan and to, uh, to all of us for all time as the word of God. But as we see these plans, we're going to see that Paul has plans that he's expressing that are plans to reach the lost, plans to help the poor, but also that all of these plans, just like our plans, are in God's hands and ultimately not in Paul's hands or in our hands either. So let's see these plans. First of all, Paul has plans to reach the lost. It says in verse 22, this is the reason why I have often been hindered from coming to you. What is the reason? Well, it's the reason that he just gave. When he says this, he says the thing that I just told you in the verses that come right before this. And what is that reason? Well, it's that he had made it his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named. The reason that he hasn't come to the most powerful and influential city in the world yet, to Rome, is because he has a different mission in mind. Now, of course, you could say, but Paul... You, you, you would get such a prominent platform and be so well recognized if, if this, you know, you're, you're the most famous Christian in the world right now, other, other than Jesus or maybe even Peter, but, but you, why don't you just come to Rome and, and everybody can hear you and you would, you know, everything would spread from there, but he essentially says, well, you've got a church already and I, w- I want to help you guys out. I want to see you. I want to be blessed when I do come through there briefly on my way somewhere else. 
But here is what God has put on the calling on my life as the apostle to the Gentiles that I want to be a pioneer missionary and church planter. This was what God had given to Paul to do. And so he had said already that he had spread the gospel and preached and planted churches. He said back in verse 19, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Which means that he started out, I don't know if you can picture the Mediterranean Sea in your mind as I asked you to the last time we were in Romans a few weeks ago, but, but all the way over on uh, the, the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea at Jerusalem. And then up around and you get up to Turkey and you go over there and there's, there's Greece and all that stuff. And, and he says all the way over. I've made a half circle around the Mediterranean Sea, preaching the gospel in places where nobody had ever heard the gospel, planting churches with the people who believed from that preaching of the gospel, seeing those churches established and built up and discipling those people, and, and praying and, uh, for, for God to raise up leaders and installing elders in these places and, and even putting people in place who can go from church to church raising up leaders and seeing those leaders raised up from within, seeing those leaders even sometimes come from a distance as well in order to be pastors of the church. But he's saying, this is my calling, is to be a pioneer missionary where Christ has not been named, to be a church planter where churches are not there. But you in Rome, yes, you're a very, very influential place, but you've got a church. And so what I've been, the reason I've been prevented from coming to you in Rome is because I have in mind to go and preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. But then he says in verse 23, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. What he's saying is essentially, there's been a lot of churches planted now. As I've made that half circle route up the eastern side of the northern half of the Mediterranean region, there's churches all over the place now and they're able to evangelize their cities, to evangelize the surrounding areas and the villages. There's churches planted, but there's a whole western side too of the Roman Empire that I haven't made it to yet. And there's this place out there called Spain, which is at the ends of the earth, as far as their thinking is at this point, right? They, they don't know about New Jersey. <laughs> and he's saying, I wanna go all the way over there. You know, I've, I made my circuit this way, and I wanna get in a boat, I wanna go as far as I can. As far as Jonah was trying to run away from the preaching of the gospel. Paul's saying, I want to get all the way over there and plant a church and maybe even make my way back toward Italy and, and, and see these churches planted. But this is the hope. He's saying, I want to see churches planted. Now, his, his, his aim, his goal is to spread the gospel, to see the kingdom built up, to see churches established, to see people repenting and believing in, in the Lord Jesus and coming together and encouraging one another and being the church in the way that God has designed. That's what he wants to see. And as we see that, I just, I just want to remind you, there's a reason why he wants to do that. There's a reason why he had all that work in those regions and, and he wants to go to another region why it hasn't happened yet. The reason is because of the thing that is out on our sign in front of the church right now from Acts 17 which is this, that God now commands all people everywhere to repent. 
That's, that's the fact. And, and, and I don't want to just go through these travel plans and the, the things that he wants to do and the kind of financial things that are involved in that that are going to come out in this portion of the letter. We, we don't want to just say, well, he has these travel plans and this is a good idea without stopping and saying, why is this a good idea? Well, it's because there's something that's personal to all mankind everywhere, including me and including you, which is that he commands all people everywhere to repent. That we are sinners in need of a savior, that there is no hope for us apart from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and repenting and believing in him as savior. You must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say, well, the people over in Spain are going to be just fine as long as I never tell them about Jesus, because then they'll just have whatever light they happen to have, and they'll respond to it in whatever way they happen to respond to it. And if they respond to it in a way that, that God thinks is good enough with whatever light they happen to have, then maybe they'll make it to heaven. No, he's saying there are people dying and going to an eternal torment that they rightfully deserve for their sins, and having never heard the way of salvation. If you wonder, well, how could I say that? Well, it's because he said that earlier in the letter. He said that very clearly, starting at Romans chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 18, that the, uh, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their unrighteousness suppress the truth that there are things that are known about God to all mankind through what has been made and through the conscience where, where the works of the law are imprinted on every heart, where there, there is enough knowledge in every human being everywhere to make us guilty of our sin. There is not, however, enough knowledge to save us from our sins apart from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 10 says. How will they hear without a preacher? How, how, how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? How will they hear without someone preaching? How will they preach unless they are sent? And that's what Paul is saying. I want them to hear. I want to go, and I want you to help me go. I want you to help me be sent along the way. And that's what he says in verse 24. He says, I, I hope to see you in passing. Most important city in the world. Christians in the most influential place in the world. I'm going to pass through but I need you to help me to get sent to where people have never heard. So he says two things at the end of verse 24 that he wants to do when he actually does come to Rome. Those two things are that he wants to be helped on his journey and that he wants to enjoy their company. What does that mean? I want to be helped on my journey there by you. There's different ways that that could get translated. Be helped on my journey is the way that, that it's put there in the ESV that I'm reading from. And the King James Version translates this, uh, to be brought on my way thitherward by you. Another one that I don't know what that means. But that is, that's just saying, hey, I want to be sent forth. I want to be pushed forward. He uses a word here that, that's something like, I, I, I want to be sent ahead it's a word that it seems like in the early churches had kind of become a, a common word among these churches that was common language for, for helping missionaries get on the field. Whether that is through, um, uh, through any kind of support that could be given, but especially through financial support. And he's, he's saying, hey, this is something that I'm going to need. If I'm going to make it to Spain, 
if I'm going to make it to more of these regions where the gospel has not been preached, that's going to take some financial backing in order for that to be possible. And so he says, Rome, center of the world, you guys there probably have some jobs. There might be some economic activity there going on in this most important city in the world. And maybe from the fruit of the labor of your hands, you could take that fruit. You could take the work that you've done and what you've gotten from that work, and you could put it into the work of the gospel going forth throughout the whole world. So he says, I want to be helped by you in my journey. I want to encourage you, First Baptist Church of Matawan, for, for stepping up to do this at the end of the year 2023. Uh, I think it was about two months before the end of the year that uh, we started to let it be known that we were way behind on our missions giving for the year. And I think we were just barely over halfway of, of where we, we needed to be for the year and much more than halfway through the year. And it was amazing to see that you, church, First Baptist, you, you guys stepped up and you gave sacrificially, and by the, by, not even by the end of the year, but with a week to spare, we surpassed um, all, all of that missions-giving goal that we, we wanted to reach for the year. And that's because you did this. So thank you. I just want to encourage you in that and say thank you. I've seen just a, a, a beautiful willingness from this church to do what it is that Paul said that he needs done, which is ascending forward of the gospel with financial gifts. And so I encourage you in that. The other thing he says that he wants to do when he comes to Rome, his hope is I want to be, I want to enjoy your company for a while. Well, what does that mean? It means enjoy your company for a while. See, he, he is coming through for all kinds of reasons. He, I, I mean, it's pretty obvious that he's going to preach when he's there. Who's not going to put the Apostle Paul in the pulpit when he comes to church, Right? He's going to fundraise while he's there. But he also just says, I've heard about you. I, I, I want to be there. He, he said all the way back in chapter 1 that he wanted to come so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He says that he has wanted to come for a long time. There, there's, there's a longing that's expressed here and expressed in a lot of Paul's letters in the New Testament just about this idea of being together and the value that there is when, when brothers and sisters in Christ are together in person. You know, they, they wrote letters to each other. They found out about what was going on with each other. Paul, obviously, when we get to chapter 16, he, he knows a lot of people in the church in Rome. And there's various uh, kind of historical circumstances for why that happened and why so many of those believers from that church had, had been throughout the world and other places where Paul had had preached and why he got to know them, but you know, just kind of meeting somebody from there, hearing about what's going on, there's value to that, but, but he just says, I, I want to be there in person. I, I know that every Lord's Day that you are gathering together, you're worshiping the Lord together, you're encouraging each other, you know each other well, and, and you're discipling each other and building each other up, and I want to come and I want to see it, and I want to get to know you. I don't want to just know you anymore as just kind of an abstract idea. Yeah, there's a, there's a faithful church over there, but to be there and, and to be encouraged, to be built up, there's such value in that. And boy, what value there is in that. I just want to say, believer, I, 
you know, sometimes when we talk about this concept, we come across it in scripture. It's like, I, I wanna just like, you know, somehow gather all the people who aren't gathered and preach to them, but you can't really do that. So I just wanna say, those of you who are here, I, th I think the fact that you're here demonstrates that you understand something of the value of gathering. You, you, you get that. But there might be a, a time in your life when, when you start to not get that. Or when something changes and you think to yourself, well, you know, because this thing has gone wrong in my life, I don't feel good and maybe I should just stay home from church today. That doesn't make any sense. Now, I've heard a lot of people express things like that. Maybe you've felt something like that before, but do you know what, where the encouragement is going to come as a Christian is from being there for the worship of God and being there with the people of God to enjoy each other's company, not just for the sake of saying, hey, we're, we're a bunch of good old boys who like to talk about football, but, but to be able to say, hey, we're, we really, really share Christ together. And what a joy it is to see the actual people who are actually experiencing the grace of God at work in their lives and to be able to build each other up through the gifts that we have, encourage each other in Christ. It's fellowship is what we're talking about. That, that sharing together in Christ and sharing together in each other's lives. Uh, and so he says, I want to come and I want to enjoy your company. Now there's an element of this too that you can say what a blessing it is when God brings you to another place. Maybe you're on vacation. And maybe on vacation, you're tempted to say to yourself, I'm on vacation. I'm not going to church today. I know it's Sunday, but this is the beach. And maybe think of Paul, though. Think of what a joy it was for him to think about going and, and, and worshiping with and enjoying the company of believers that he had never met before. Because, hey, there's a believing church here that's gathering to worship, and I could go there. And I could, I mean, for one thing, just plainly, it's the Lord's day, set it aside, all right? But also, what a motivation to go and, and to be there. Um, don't isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself. Don't think to yourself, well, I know Jesus personally, and so I'm, I'm okay. I don't, I don't have to let anybody else know me. I don't have to have that, that kind of, you know, prying eyes into my heart and my life. Don't isolate yourself. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Maybe you're isolating yourself thinking, those people don't know. They, 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 they don't know how to help me. They don't know about me. I know what's good for me. I don't want to hear what they have to say. Well, you know, that's, that's pretty foolish. You are breaking out against all sound judgment when you put up that kind of a shell and go hide. But on the other hand, when we come together, when we encourage each other in the faith, when we enjoy each other's company, it says in Psalm 133, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. He says later in that Psalm, it is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. So church, I do want to encourage you. I, I, I see this in First Baptist Church of Matawan, a desire and a love for being together, for enjoying each other's company. I would encourage you too, if you long for that more and more, a good place to start with that would be by coming to the programs that we have. Uh, 
And I say the word program, it's not a dirty word, it's a thing that we do, we have to do stuff, right? And we do stuff. And a good place to start, if you're starting to feel like, well, I come to church on Sunday morning, but I feel so disconnected, it's pretty likely that you're not typically coming to other things as well, or not consistently coming to other things as well. And I would really encourage you, you know, um, if, if you can get up during the week for work or whatever you have, school, you can make it to Sunday school by nine. You can do it. Uh, we have our prayer meeting on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock. We, we, ladies who are available during the day on Tuesdays, there's the ladies Bible study, and they can tell you how valuable that fellowship is. There's the once a month ladies study on Saturdays as well. There's the once a month men's study on Saturdays. There's various other things going on, and I just wanna say, hey, the Apostle Paul can say, I long to enjoy your company. And boy, if God hasn't grown that longing in our hearts, maybe he should. And maybe we shouldn't be sitting around thinking, well, why aren't the people around me taking the initiative to get to know me? Maybe we can take that initiative ourselves and get involved and see the blessing in that. But all that to say, Paul had a plan here that's expressed in those first few verses that his plan was to go and to preach the gospel. And along the way, he was going to raise money for the preaching of the gospel. He was going to enjoy the company of the saints on his way to go and preach the gospel. But his plan was to preach the gospel. A second part of Paul's plan, starting in verse 25, is that he had plans to help the poor. Plans to help the poor. He says, verse 25, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Well, What's that talking about? It's talking about these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who had suffered financial ruin for their following of Christ. They had suffered persecution because they believed in Christ. They had little to nothing. And Paul is saying, they are on my heart. This is a big part of what I want to accomplish on these journeys, is to raise money for the help of the poor and especially for the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ who have lost so much because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, is helping the poor something that we ought to be about as Christians? It seems like kind of one of those obvious things. Yes. Yes, it is. Helping the poor is all over the Bible. And if you start to think to yourself, well, we, we you know, just preaching the gospel is all that people really need, well, Jesus preached the gospel and he also helped the poor. Now, if we were to say, well, this is the mission of the church, if we were to say helping the poor is the mission of the church, we would get off track pretty quick, wouldn't we? You know, I mean, we could, we could do all kinds of things to where we say, okay, we have this much that's been given this year, and so therefore, let's not keep it for ourselves, let's just give it all to the poor. Well, the problem there is then we're not gonna have a church anymore. Right? You, 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 you can't pay staff, you can't keep the building open, you can't do church programs without some funding. And so we, there has to be some kind of a medium here where we say we need to be about the helping of the poor and also, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, uh, the helping of the poor can't be the primary mission of the church or else we're not gonna be spreading the gospel. We're going to be meeting those needs that will pass away, feeding bodies that will eventually get sick and die, and their souls will go somewhere. 
And so we have to be about the preaching of the gospel, but the, the compassionate kind of a ministry of actually helping the actual needs of the actual poor is consistently throughout the Old and the New Testament something that ought to be on the hearts of the saints and ought to be part of the work of the church. And so that's going to look a little different in our 21st century context where we're in a Western country, uh, a wealthy country that has social safety nets built in in various ways that were really not the case back in the first century. And so it's, it's going to look a little bit different, but it ought to be on our hearts today as well. But in order for it to be on our hearts in a way that's scriptural, we should probably think about it in terms of what it says here in the scriptures. Now, we're not going to go into a full, I'm not, I don't want to go to like a full thing throughout the scriptures of, of how to help the poor and what is helping them and what is hurting them. And, and we could say lots and lots of things about this. You know, I mean, Paul even comes out and says there are going to be some people who try to take advantage of this. And if they're able to work and they're not willing to work, then don't give them anything. And there are some widows who, who have other means of support and then widows who need to be enrolled to be supported. All, but we're not going to get into that. I just want to say... Here's what's going on with Paul at this time in this mission of the support of these poor and what he's doing, and maybe that'll help us to think a little bit about some of what we can do. It says in Hebrews 10, Hebrews being this, this letter that's written uh, maybe by the Apostle Paul, we don't know for sure, but to Jewish believers, he says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So he says right there, here's something that happened to these Jewish believers, is that they had their property plundered because they came to Christ. They became poor because it was worth it to them to have Jesus rather than to have the things of this world. Now just remember that when that began, when that persecution first broke out against the, the new believers in Jerusalem who were almost entirely Jewish at that time, it's part of the kind of the context that's here, Paul was an unbelieving Jew who was part of the sect of the Pharisees who was actively and zealously participating in that persecution against those Christians. He was there giving approval, not just to the plundering, but to the death of Stephen. When Paul was on his famous trip down the road to Damascus, why was he going to Damascus? Because he wanted to have Christians dragged off to prison, and as part of that, probably to lose everything that they had financially. He was participating in this. He thought that it was zeal for God that he was carrying out. But it wasn't. He was persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus powerfully came. Jesus met Paul on that road to Damascus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he overcame Paul's will. Paul's will was against Christ. Paul's will was to persecute Christ and his people. Jesus overcame Paul's will. I'm so glad. I am glad he overcame my will too. And, and he took hold of his heart and he moved him to repent of his sin, to see that he was wrong about everything. That's what repentance looked like for Paul. 
Not to say I've been, I've been the, the, you know, the worst drunkard or something, but to say I was completely wrong in my thinking. That's always part of what's built into repentance. You have to recognize you were wrong. But in that, to move to faith in Jesus Christ. When Paul became a believer in Jesus, part of his repentance, it seems, was to look and to see what he had done to these believing Jews who had lost so much in this persecution and to have a compassion for helping them. It says in Galatians 2, this is Paul recounting what happened after the time when he was first converted, that, um, that he had at one point come and, and spoken to these leaders at the church in Jerusalem, James and Cephas and John, and uh, they had talked about, about how he would go and preach to the Gentiles, but it says in Galatians 2.10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So Paul said, look, all along, yeah, I'm, you know, my goal is to go and to preach the gospel, to be a pioneer missionary and church planter. And as I go, I'm also going to be fundraising, not just for the missions part of it, but for the poor. In particular, the poor who are poor because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they've lost so much in following Jesus. Paul was determined that he was going to not just preach, but also to help in these material needs. So that was something that if you are reading through the New Testament, that's something you can kind of keep in mind in these letters from Paul and in what's going on in the book of Acts and his journeys, is that he's kind of always fundraising in order to send or bring these funds back to Jerusalem to help these particular brothers in Christ. It says, and then where we, where we come to here, in these travel plans, in Romans 15, seems to be the same place that's described in Acts 19.21, where it says, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Apparently, when he writes the book of Romans, he's been through Macedonia and he's been through Achaia. Achaia being sort of... Uh, well, Greece, where Corinth is. And he's been through these places, and he's, he's preached the gospel, and he's raised funds for the poor. And he says here in verse 26 in Romans 15, where we are today, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. Now, what, what, were the, what did this look like? Well, there's instructions about this. I'm taking you some other places in Scripture right now, just so we know what he's talking about when he says to make some contribution for the poor. He gave instructions to this about the, to the church in Corinth, which is in Achaia. He gave this in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. He says, concerning the collection for the saints, which means those impoverished Jewish believers in Jerusalem, he says, I directed the churches of Galatia so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he tells the church in Corinth about the faithfulness of the churches in Macedonia to give toward this. It says that in a test of severe affliction, 
Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. As we think about these these verses, you see here, well, these churches that were giving, they were giving freely, and they were giving according to their ability, and it says they were even giving beyond their ability. They, they had just a desire in their hearts to say, we have what our brothers don't have, and we wanna help. Of course, they're not gonna be able to help every possible need. They're not gonna be able to help every possible poor person or something like that, but they're saying, we want to help, especially those who are of the household of faith. Uh, there, there's something of a sermon about this preached in another place in scripture in 2 Corinthians 9. So I'm gonna ask you to do this. I know I'm taking you to these different texts to try to explain what Paul's doing here with this mission for the poor. Keep your finger in Romans 15, turn to the right several pages, and look at 2 Corinthians 9. Because he preaches a sermon here to us that's kind of an exposition of Romans 15, verses 26 and 27. And I want you to see it. He says at the beginning of that chapter, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness. And I'll skip down to verse five. He says, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. He says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You, and by you he means you believers who are giving to the relief of the poor, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And then he says this, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You see what we have there is, is that last verse that I just read from 2 Corinthians 9 explaining God has already given us everything. Not just the material things that we have in this world, but we have the inexpressible gift of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came here for us, lived for us, died for us to pay the penalty for our sin, rose from the dead and gives us grace upon grace and gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has given us everything, his inexpressible gift. 
And what a small thing it is then for us to look around at those that we could help and to help. It's amazing. He says that they were pleased to do this. These churches in Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to do it. We're back to Romans 15 now, by the way. If you're trying to figure out where we are, we're, we're in the text we're in. Romans 15, verse 27. It says they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. You know, what we have here, we have this, um, this principle, this principle that fellowship, this sharing, in fact, I'll use a Greek word here, even though I don't like to speak Greek from the pulpit because I don't think it's usually helpful. I think enough people know this word that it could be helpful. The word koinonia is the word he uses here where he says the Gentiles have come to share in their blessing. It's one of two times in this passage that he uses this, where often we think of fellowship, koinonia, as that hanging out together. <laughs> but the way that it's put in the Bible is this sharing of ourselves with each other, sharing in Christ together, sharing in our lives together, and even sharing in each other's needs, as it's put here. They share in their spiritual blessings and then to be of service to them and sharing in their material blessings as well. It says they were pleased to do it, and they owe it. Those things are not mutually exclusive. He says they owe it to them. It's a thing that is right to do, and it's also something that is pleasing, is good to do. I think that's something we find usually in our, our Christian life when we obey God. When, when we're disobedient, we say, oh, I owe it to God to obey. Ah. But when we obey, we say, I owed it to God to obey. And how freeing and beautiful and pleasing and good it is to obey God. And this thing that they've obeyed in here was this sharing together in their material blessings. If, if um, he says that this, this, they had the spiritual service they had this spiritual blessings that had been provided and, and then to provide service and material things. What's he talking about? Well, those, those Jewish believers are the ones that had first come to the gospel. God had, had sent Jesus as a Jewish person through the Jewish people, sent him first to the Jewish people, and those who first believed were among the Jews. And how did the gospel get to the world? It's because it came from there. And so he says, well, if you've come to believe, look and see that this is a spiritual blessing and look back at those believers in Jerusalem, the first believers. They're suffering. They're poor because they've believed. Help them. How much do you owe for their spiritual blessings? It's, it's hard to count. It's almost like if your parents were missing and somebody helped you find them, and then you learn that that person had a need that they could meet, wouldn't you want to meet that need? Well, how much more when somebody helped you find your heavenly Father? And he says, go on, help them. You owe it, but also it's pleasing. That principle is, is carried over and applied in a number of ways throughout the scriptures, but here, let's, let's just think about this. With Paul wanting to help the poor, shouldn't we help the poor 
The answer is yes. In your personal life, you may find various ways to do this. You may, you may come across someone who is begging of you, and in most situations, I would recommend just go ahead and give them something, even if you suspect that they might not use it perfectly. That's in God's hands and not ours. We can be about helping one another, but we also want to help situations. Or we can be <laughs> about helping those out on the street. We can also be about helping one another. Let me put it that way. Uh, we can be about especially helping those who are of the household of faith. Uh, we have those who are far off and those who are near, and if God has put those near to us as brothers and sisters in Christ who are, who are going through difficulties and hurting, then that ought to be priority for us. One of the ways that we do that at this church is through what's called the deacon offering, which is taken up on Lord's Supper Sundays, which happens to be today. And so that's something that, that you can do is to give toward that. That goes toward meeting um, various needs from within our church, sometimes requests that we get from uh, outside our church. It goes toward helping places like uh, the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission, where there's lots of needs. It goes towards helping places like Solutions Pregnancy Center and supporting these mothers who are in such deep crisis that they really even considered possibly taking the lives of those babies before they were born. And now they need a lot of support um, it goes to, to various things, but that's one way that we can do that. We also try to help believers who are in situations very similar to the situation described in Jerusalem by supporting things like the Voice of the Martyrs. This is part of what our missions fund go to, is the, the organization, the Voice of the Martyrs. There are still persecuted Christians throughout the world today who lose everything because they follow Christ. And that's why we support that organization is because they're helping those brothers and sisters in Christ who are losing everything for doing what we take for granted is to worship God and, and be known as believers. We, we have the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission. We have Voice of the Martyrs. We have uh, Compassion International. We have various other things that we support. But uh, you, you may or may not know that it's actually, it's actually in our... Um, uh, what am I trying to say? It's in our church covenant, our membership covenant, which I brought up here in this big packet. As members of First Baptist Church of Madawan, that we are going to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. And so I encourage you to keep that in mind as you're planning for the rest of 2024 and giving not just to the needs of the church itself, but also toward the poor in terms of the deacon offering or other things, and in terms of the spread of the gospel through missions giving as well. But all of these are plans that are in God's hands. Let's look at verses 28 and 29. He has plans to reach the lost, plans to help the poor, but the plans are in God's hands. He says, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered them to what delivered to them what has been collected. That means he's going to go and he, he plans to personally deliver these funds in Jerusalem. He says, I will leave for Spain by way of you. We already talked about those plans. But he says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. These plans that Paul had to go to Jerusalem and then to go to Rome and then to go to Spain are plans that we don't really know if they ever came to that last step or not. 
What we do know from the book of Acts is that Paul made it to Jerusalem. And when he got to Jerusalem, that he got accused of something that he didn't do. He got accused of bringing a Gentile into the court of the temple. And then he got pulled up on trial. He got publicly accused. He could have just been let go once he announced that he was a Roman citizen, but instead he appealed higher. And so Paul ended up not just going to Jerusalem, but he did go to Rome, and he ended up going to Rome on a prison ship. And so uh, the, the final chapters of Acts will tell you about Paul's journey between Jerusalem and Rome. And he spent part of that, uh, you know, with a year in prison here and a uh, shipwreck there, et cetera, et cetera. And so these plans probably didn't go quite the way that Paul was planning. We also don't know after he got to Rome, we don't know exactly when or how he was released from prison. It does seem that when he got there, that he got to visit with the church at Rome, not by going to their worship service, but because they were coming to the house where he was under house arrest, and they were ministering to him and serving him. And he got to meet them. And he got to do things there like write some of the letters of the New Testament, like Philippians. After he was released from there, there is some early Christian traditions that say that eventually Paul did go to Spain. We don't really know if that happened or if that's just tradition because it says here that that was his intention. I kind of think probably he never made it to Spain, but I don't know for sure. What I do know is that his plans got kind of shaken up by the sovereign God. Paul had plans. God had other plans. It was all in God's hands, and this is always how it is. As we plan, God sovereignly plans above our heads, and he can change it, and that's good. Now, these were other, there were plans that Paul had throughout his ministry that didn't come together. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2.17, we endeavored eagerly to see you face to face. He wanted to go to Thessalonica. But I, I Paul, again and again, wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. I don't know what Satan was doing, but I do know, based on Job 1, that whatever Satan was doing was under the control of God. It was in God's sovereign plans that his plans changed. It says in Acts 16 that they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. They planned, here's where we're going to go, here's what we're going to do. And the Spirit wouldn't let them. What did that look like? I don't know. I don't know, but he changed their plans. It says in Proverbs 16.9 that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We plan our way. God is the one who decides the way it's actually going to go. Now, does that mean that Paul was wrong to plan his way? No. Does it mean that we're wrong to make plans? No. It's right and it's good to plan our way. I don't know who first said it, but it's true that a failure to plan is a, fail, or is a plan to fail. It's true. But as Christians, e even as we plan, we plan knowing, hey, if God wills, we will live and do this or that, as James puts it. We make our plans, but we know that God is sovereign, and in all the things, in all the things that God does, as he wills, that nothing's going to happen that's outside of his sovereign plan, and his sovereign plan is never going to be for anything but our good and his glory. 
as believers who love him and are called according to his purpose. At the last FIRE International Fellowship back in May, Pastor Jim Eliff said, anxiety is the notion that something is going to happen to you that is not for God's glory and you're good. Never gonna happen. God may have some things happen that are outside of your plans, but if you're a believer in Christ, it is always gonna be for your good and for his glory. But at the same time, God sovereignly establishes his promises. He's over our plans, but he establishes his promises. This is the last thing he says, when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul came to Rome in the fullness of the blessing of Christ in chains. Probably not what he had in mind as the Holy Spirit was moving him to write this, but he came with these promises of God in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. He came knowing that he was going to be able to mutually encourage them, that they would be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, as he said back in Romans 1.12. He came knowing that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.3. He came knowing, Ephesians 3.8, that it was given to him to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He came knowing, like he said in Ephesians 4.13, that they were going to attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God was going to establish the fullness of the blessings of Christ, despite doing it in a way that was outside of Paul's plans. So as we see all these travel plans, as we see the fundraising plans, as we see all of this, we know that as we we want to be on board with the same kind of plans, for one thing. We want to preach the gospel. We want to get this, the gospel sent out. We want to help the poor. But all of this knowing that God's plans are higher than ours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the way that you direct all things. We thank you for the plans that Paul had, and we thank you for the plans that you had. Uh, and God, I pray that where our plans are... Um, good that you would establish them, but where your plans are better, that you would overrule them. Father, I pray that uh, you would help us today to be a church that sends out the gospel, that helps the poor, that is zealous for good works. But God, the reason all these things need to happen, the reason the gospel needs to go out is because you command all people everywhere to repent. And so, Father, I pray that that might happen even now. Lord, even in a, a sermon about a passage of scripture that has to do with fundraising and travel plans. Lord, I pray that where there are those who are here who recognize that they are outside of Christ, I pray that you would convict them, bring them. Lord, overcome their will just like you did for Paul on the road to Damascus. And I pray that you would save them by your grace. Make them our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, as believers, please help us to be about these good works, to send out the gospel, to help the poor, and Lord, bless us in our fellowship together in enjoying each other's company as well, like it says. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.